The Gut Pharmacist Podcast with Riley Ramosco, traditional naturopath and holistic nutritionist. Dr. Vincent Pedre is an elite expert in the world of gut health and gastroenterology. He's been a medical director, a founder, a CEO, a nutraceutical consultant, spokesperson, and latest author for his book, The Gut Smart Protocol, which features a 14-day personalized gut healing plan based on the Gut Smart Quiz. This has been in the works based on years of research and clinical experience as a functional gut health expert. Dr. Vincent Pedre is a functional medicine certified practitioner who's been in practice in New York City since 2004 and believes the gut is the gateway to excellent wellness. He has so much great information on gut health and all things involved. So let's bring him in. Welcome to the Gut Pharmacist Podcast. We have Dr. Vincent Pedre here, and he is an elite expert in the world of gastroenterology. And he's recently written a new book, which we'll talk about later, But thank you so much for being here today, Dr. Pedre. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. It's my pleasure. I know we've been trying to schedule this for a while, so happy we finally got it on the calendar. (laughs) Absolutely. So the audience would love to know a little bit more about you. So your background, your health journey, why you chose medicine and gut health specifically. Wow. Yeah, that's a big, big question. Well... I grew up in Miami and I was always very interested in science and math. Those were my strong suits, but I also had a very, um, you know, I think I grew up in a Catholic family with a focus on service and what we can do for others. And so medicine was kind of the, the natural thing for me to grow into um, combining my love for science with my love for helping people. And, and especially my, I'm, I'm going to say my obsession with health. I'm not overly obsessed, but, but, you know, I'm, I've always been very focused on health since I was not a very healthy child and teenager, especially teenager, because I was on antibiotics for so many respiratory infections, lung infections, sinus infections, throat. And I was on at least 20 plus rounds of antibiotics during my teenage years from the age of 10 to 19. And it completely destroyed my gut microbiome. But the question I would ask myself then is why do I get sick so often? Why is it that my peers don't get sick? And if I'm around a sick person, I get sick. And is there something that I can do to make this better? And I was looking for the answers and the solution. And I actually was a bit of a hypochondriac as a teenager. I was afraid of being around people who were sick Uh, I was always afraid that I was going to catch whatever anybody had. So going to medical school was kind of a way to really understand the human body and kind of biohack. How is it that I can't get sick as often? Little did I know that medical school wasn't going to fully answer that question because the answer to that question had to do with the gut, the gut microbiome and my diet. And so I went through my medical training and still really didn't get a lot of nutrition training within that, uh, but was always very curious. And I had noticed one thing when I was in medical school, my dairy intake dropped uh, just, you know, sometimes your diet drifts and 
they started eating more healthy oils, olive oil, avocados, and there wasn't as much cheese, milk in my diet. And I stopped getting sick as often. And I thought, well, interesting. that's interesting because, you know, I know there's an association between dairy and respiratory health and, and mucus production, then maybe there's something here. So I was just kind of like always curious and, and observing and asking the question and looking for the answers. And even after I went to medical school and did a residency training in New York in internal medicine, I still felt that I didn't have all the answers, that medicine hadn't provided everything that I needed to know to help others and help myself. But by that time, I had been living with IBS, with irritable bowel syndrome for over two decades and thinking that, I guess this is, you know, I would just think like, this is going to be my makeup. This is just the way my body is. Now, meanwhile, while I was in training in the hospital, I was eating all the wrong things. Sometimes the quick thing to pick up when you're hungry was a slice of pizza. They were serving soda at our noontime lectures. And, and the food in the cafeteria at the hospital, let's just be honest, is not that healthy. Right. So partly I couldn't make healthy choices, but also I didn't know how unhealthy the choices were that I was making. But I was very curious, and I had been reading books by Dr. Hyman, finally discovered functional medicine and decided to dive into functional medicine. And it was like a whole new world because I realized that we learn nothing about the gut microbiome in medical school. They teach right. us nothing about the importance of the gut microbiome. And over the last 20 years, the, the research on the microbiome and how it affects not just the gut, but our our body, our health in general <clears throat> has exploded. So I realized that, wow, I was on all these antibiotics. They destroyed my gut microbiome, caused leaky gut, made me become sensitive to the two biggest food groups in my diet, which were wheat, which is basically gluten and dairy. And I was poisoning myself by the foods I was eating. They were aggravating my immune system because the gut is command central for your immune system. It's controlling how reactive or how, how tolerant your immune system is. And my immune system was overreacting, but at the same time, didn't, wasn't able to protect me from viral infections that were coming from the respiratory airways. So I started rewriting the, the story of what happened to me. And I talk about this in my new book, The Gut Smart Protocol, and realize that the years of antibiotics had destroyed my gut microbiome, caused leaky gut, given me food sensitivities, and I needed to change my diet. I needed to reboot my gut, um, start taking probiotics, eat organic, you know, be really careful about where my food is sourced. And so I went through a complete revamp of my diet. And during that time, I discovered that I was actually sensitive to gluten and a whole host of other foods. And I took them out of my diet. And what I thought was a lifelong sentence to living with an uneasy stomach, never knowing how it was going to react when I eat out, not understanding why. Sometimes I go eat out and I'm fine. And other times I go eat out and I'm coming home and I'm running to the bathroom. I'm not feeling so great. Or the next day I wake up and my, my gut is not feeling that great. And, and, and I see this in people. Like sometimes you just don't know, like it, it's under your nose 
but you don't understand the the correlation between oh I ate this and now I'm not feeling so good and my asthma got aggravated or my allergies got worse or my nose is running now and it's all interconnected with the gut and so I was able to reverse my gut issues heal my gut and got really fascinated with working with patients with gut issues and was really paying attention to all of the interconnections between the gut and other symptoms that people presented with, with were it allergies, asthma, skin rashes like eczema, migraine headaches, autoimmune disease, fatigue, joint pains, all these things, um, difficulty losing weight, and starting to realize that if we're not asking the question, it doesn't mean it doesn't exist. It just means you're not asking the right question. Right. So I started really looking at the gut as this important foundation for our health and the gut microbiome playing an incredible role in our health, much more powerful than we had ever realized because no one was really looking at it until the last couple of decades when the research on the gut microbiome has exploded. And I was merely just doing what I loved because one, I was patient zero. I had started with myself and then started working with patients. They would refer their friends, their family members, their coworkers. And before I knew it, I was an accidental gut health expert, not because I trained in it, but because I was following my passion and learning and and reading, that led me to write my first book, Happy Gut, because I realized, wow, this is so simple, and yet there are so many people out there that don't know this information. And if we just look at IBS, studies have shown, like across various studies, that it's the prevalence rate of IBS is about 11% of the worldwide population. That doesn't sound like a lot, but 11% is 896 million people worldwide. Wow. And that's just IBS. When you start thinking about all the gut-related health issues, autoimmunity, um, poor immunity, brain health issues, dementia, Alzheimer's, migraines, like you start realizing gut health issues are everywhere. And yes. almost everyone is dealing with a gut health issue. And what I'm hoping is that I'm one of those people, doctors, that help shift the paradigm to get people to wake up and realize that gut health is everything. It is a foundation for your whole body health. 100%. Yeah. And it's so often that practitioners have their own journey, which brings them to their specialty later on. Kind of the same exact thing for me as well. So you mentioned all the antibiotics you're on. So your gut was basically wiped out and you mentioned the gut immune connection. So let's go yeah. a little bit deeper into that. So explain the gut and immune connection. And then why is microbial diversity so important for gut health? Yeah, so you you have to think about the gut as this interface between you and this inside-outside world. I like to call it the inside-outside world because your intestines, you're bringing in, in food and there's sometimes bacteria, viruses, yeast on that food, and it's being processed by your system. And then there's this really important interface where it's almost like a border patrol where your white blood cells, which are all 
on the other side of your intestines and 70% of your immune system is all along the intestinal lining, they are patrolling and they're, they're testing and sampling what's coming through that border wall, your intestinal lining. And they're looking for friend or foe. Now, the interesting thing is that your good bacteria, we call them probiotic bacteria like lactobacilli, bifidobacteria, they're hanging out on the inside of that border in the mucus layer of the gut, really, really thin, but very important. And they're actually communicating with our immune system and they can modulate the way your immune system is reacting and they can actually create immune tolerance. So lactobacilli can help trigger the, um, the maturation of T regulatory cells that help keep our immune system under control. And that's really important when you think about the, the whole body because inflammation is the one underlying root cause for every chronic disease on the planet. And the gut is the biggest potential source for inflammation when it becomes leaky. So when your gut barrier opens up and becomes leaky because you've been on antibiotics, because you're stressed, because you're eating the standard American diet, lots of processed foods, sugars, um, bad omega-6 oils, uh, inflammatory, um, other inflammatory ingredients in food that the food industry allows, like carrageenan, all of these things and toxins and exposure to pesticides, they're like an attack on your gut and they, they cause shifts in your gut microbiome that then lead to leaky gut. And when that gut border is leaky, then it activates your immune response. If you, you have a chronically active immune response along the gut lining because you're doing all these things and you're drinking alcohol, which also increases gut permeability and alters the gut microbiome in a bad way, then that immune response in your gut is sending signals to your entire body telling it that we're in a state of alert. And then you start seeing downstream problems like you start seeing thyroid disease, autoimmune thyroid, other autoimmune diseases, but for some people it presents as asthma, allergies, skin rashes, headaches, um, mental fog. So it has the gut, because of dysbiosis, which is an imbalance between good and bad bugs caused by antibiotics, poor diet, stress, all these things, I talk about them in my book, you get leaky gut and leaky gut leads, it's like opening up the floodgates of inflammation into the body. And once you do that, then it's gonna express itself in different ways, depending on the person, depending on their genetic individuality and depending on their behavior and their right. susceptibility. And so with people who have a lot of food sensitivities, do you utilize food sensitivity testing in your practice or what is your thought on that? Sometimes I do. Um, the thing to understand about food sensitivity testing versus food allergy testing is food allergy testing, which is checking for IgE antibodies, and, and it's very standardized. So the results are going to be pretty much the same across labs. When you get into food sensitivity testing, there are many different ways that you can look for food sensitivities. You can check for IgG, you can check for IgG4, you can check for IgA response, you can check for IgG4 plus complement activation. And these different ways of looking at IgG um, at food sensitivities, 
may give you slightly different responses. So one test, if you send blood from the same patient to two different labs, you may get some overlapping things and you may get some things that are conflicting or slightly different depending on how the test was done. Now, some, some labs do the IgG4 plus complement activation. They do that extra test to see if the IgG antibodies that are present are activating complement. And they think that that makes the test a bit more accurate because you're looking for that second step. Is this IgG activating complement in the person's blood showing that it is a true sensitivity? But the way I like to think of it is that a food allergy test is like a perfect um, crystal clear picture, like taken with, you know, the most advanced camera and food out food sensitivity testing is like a Monet painting. Yeah. It's sort of a little bit blurry. You can tell that there are water lilies there, that big bend is in the background, but it might not be hundred percent accurate, but sometimes I do like to do food sensitivity testing because Sometimes you have a question like there, maybe you've, you've done an elim elimination diet and you still feel like you're reacting to certain foods. So it's good to see what might you be reacting to that maybe haven't eliminated from the diet. I did that with a patient that had migraines and she was reacting high to cinnamon. Wow. And who would have thought that cinnamon would be a problem, but cinnamon, she was putting cinnamon in oatmeal that she had every day and she was having migraines multiple times per week. Well, when we took the cinnamon out because she was reacting so strongly to it, just by doing that one thing, taking the cinnamon out of the diet, her migraines dropped by 50% in one month. Wow. Now, was the cinnamon by itself causing the migraine? The cinnamon was just activating a process that was aggravating her immune system, causing inflammation then triggering migraines. And there's been studies showing that there's uh, a link between migraines and food sensitivities. And they've actually found that when you do food sensitivity testing patients with migraines and remove those foods, that you can reduce the migraine frequency. Now, migraines are very complex, so there are other issues that may be at play. But the important thing to realize, regardless of the test, if you do food sensitivity testing, which is mediated by IgG antibodies, which are in the blood circulation mostly. It can be IgAs as well, which are secreted into the gut and the airway. What it's telling you, if, there's, if it's lighting up with a lot of foods, the real problem is leaky gut. And behind that, the other problem that might be lurking that might not be in the person's radar is low stomach acid and an inability to break down protein. 30 second interruption. If you are tired of dealing with all these unnecessary symptoms and you'd like to get to the root causes of your problems, just apply to work with me. I help people like you every single day find answers with functional labs, root cause approaches, and holistic health. I work one-on-one -on -one with USA and Canada and offer an affordable independent program worldwide. If you need help, just click on the apply to work with me link in the show notes. Now back to the podcast. So partially digested proteins are getting down into their small intestine where it's getting absorbed and the person's getting exposed to a piece of corn, a piece of soy, a piece of wheat that's not been completely broken down into amino acids. And we're designed to react to proteins. 
Um, anywhere as short as a uh, an amino acid sequence of like nine to 15 amino acids, a short peptide, our immune system is very um, adept at reacting to these things. And so it can confuse a food and then think that the food is foe because it thinks maybe it's a virus, maybe it's a bacteria that's entering the body. And now your body is attacking the food. And every time you eat it, you don't feel so great. You get bloated. Maybe you get mentally foggy. You don't feel well. You get achy. You get tired. And those are all signs that the food sensitivity is affecting you in, in more ways than just the gut. Great explanation. And I see that there, well, there's food sensitivities, there's food intolerances, food allergies. I feel like people use them all meaning the same thing, even sometimes physicians. So can you explain yeah. the difference between those three terms? Like I said before, food allergy is something that happens immediately. It's mediated by a type of immunoglobulin called IgE. And it typically can happen within minutes. So somebody has a peanut allergy, teachers know this. If there's a kid with a peanut allergy in their classroom, nobody can have peanuts in the room because even just the exposure to the peanut, even from far away, could trigger the allergy. So peanuts, pine nuts, things like that can have an immediate hypersensitivity reaction. The airway might close. You might break out in hives. These are typical reactions that you get from allergies. Food sensitivities are different. So they're mediated mostly by IgG antibodies that are in our circulation. So they're inside our blood circulation. So the only way to get these is to have leaky gut. You don't necessarily have to have leaky gut to have a food allergy. And sometimes food allergies are inherited from mother to child. And so these types of food sensitivities are slower. So you have to think of it as a slower delayed reaction that can take, it could be an hour after you eat, but it could be several hours. It could even be the next day and it could even be a few days later when it's activating because of the way these antibodies work and they form these immune complexes. And they can also be mediated by IgA as well. Now, food intolerance is different. It has to do with the ability to break down a food and it's usually because of an enzyme deficiency like a lactose intolerance, it's uh, an inability to break down the lactose sugar in milk, for example, because the person maybe lacks enough of the lactase enzyme. Someone can have a fructose intolerance. Uh, if you've heard of the FODMAP diet, that's also has to do with intolerances to different types of carbohydrates that people have difficulty digesting. So they get fermented by the gut bacteria and produce a lot of gas and discomfort. So those are the, the differences. And usually food intolerance has nothing to do with the immune system. It's something that's actually just happening inside the gut. But a lot of times we'll mix the signals and we'll say, if we will call a food sensitivity, a food intolerance. Someone will say, well, I'm intolerant to wheat. You could be intolerant to wheat, but you could also be sensitive to it. Right. And you could also have an allergy to wheat. You could actually have all three or just two or one. Yeah. Thank you for explaining that again. I wanted that to be emphasized a bit more. So thank you. So we yeah. often hear that people in America go to other countries and they eat wheat products, dairy products, and they don't have those same reactions. So do you have yeah. an opinion on why that is? Absolutely. And that's happened with me over the years with patients who travel to Italy and they have pasta and pizza over in Italy and they don't get the same reaction that they do in the US 
I think there's two reasons for it. One, we have to call it the holiday effect. You're away from work, you're away from all your usual stressors, you're more relaxed, and stress does have an effect on how strongly we react to foods. If you have that propensity, if you have a food sensitivity, stress can actually dial it up, or if you're less stressed, dial it down. So I think part of it is the holiday effect, because all of them, when they come back to the US, immediately their, their reactions return. And two, the wheat used in Europe is different from the wheat used in the US. And the wheat in the US is dwarf wheat that has been hybridized. And as a result of that hybridization that's been done over the last couple of decades, the gluten content in our wheat is 30 to 50% more. And that's really significant because our genetics have just not evolved to be able to break down gluten that easily. And gluten is actually a very difficult molecule to break down with our enzymes. So now you've thrown 30 to 50% more gluten at the gut, and that's problematic. The other thing, actually, I'm gonna add a third one here is that a lot of wheat in the US that's not organic is contaminated with glyphosate, a pesticide, which is a chelating agent, uh, which also can have an effect on the gut bacteria. So when you get exposed to glyphosate, it will cause a dysbiosis. So again, an imbalance between good and bad bugs, more towards the bad side. And then that leads to leaky gut and a whole host of other problems. And when you go to Europe, for example, they have much stricter guidelines on the use of pesticides and what is allowed and what is not allowed. So it's much more likely that what you're eating over there is much cleaner, hasn't been exposed to pesticides. They're using an ancient wheat, which doesn't have as much gluten. And this can be the true, the same thing for India, for other countries. Sadly, though, we're exporting disease all over the world. So these countries, little by little, are actually starting to acquire the same um, illnesses. You can find celiac disease, which is an autoimmune intolerance to wheat in Italy. And now if you go to Italy, you'll find restaurants that have uh, senza glutino, so without gluten in, in their offering. So it's becoming now, even in Italy, they're becoming aware that there is potential gluten problem. And a lot of it lies with leaky gut, with our disordered gut microbiome, with overexposure to antibiotics, and too many processed foods. Thank you for explaining that. I think people really need to hear that because we get that question all the time. Why can I eat it there and not here? It's frustrating. Yeah, and, so, and they come back to the US and they wanna eat the same thing and yep. they get really sick. And it's just, our our food is not the same. Yeah, unfortunately, that's just the reality of it. And there's a new community, I don't wanna say they're new, but it's very uh, becoming a prominent thing. There's a community who is more against plant foods now, against kale, saying anti-nutrients are bad for the body, uh, only eat animal products. What is your take on plant anti-nutrients? I think we have to be cognizant of them. So for example, lectins can be potentially inflammatory to the gut. Uh, they can potentially provoke leaky gut, but I think it's not the whole story. And we also have to realize that a lot of these foods, um, as we become a more industrialized society, a modern society where 
everything is being made to our convenience, we're, we're slowly forgetting the ancestral food preparation practices that were used years ago, that a lot of these foods were either fermented, they were soaked overnight, then rinsed before they were cooked, like beans, like soy. And, and our ancestors knew that these made them more gut friendly, but they also made them more friendly to us. They, they make the nutrients more bioavailable. So there are nutrient, there, there are anti-nutrients on certain vegetables like legumes that can block the absorption of minerals and things, for example, like almonds, soy, but there are ways to prepare them that make them friendlier. But I think also an important missing part of the story is that you have to look at the blue zones of the world and what do they eat? They eat a lot of fiber. Um, across the board, they very likely eat beans. So it could be lima beans, kidney beans, uh, soybeans, um, but sometimes they're fermented and they're, they're not exposed to as many antibiotics. They're living out in nature. They get out in nature more. So they have more microbial diversity. I know you asked about that earlier. So I want to circle back to microbial diversity because microbial diversity is the holy grail of gut health. And actually the holy grail of health for your body. Why do I say that? Because study after study is showing that the more diverse your gut microbiome is, the less inflammation in your body. So the more diversity you have in the gut microbiome, the less inflammation. What creates diversity? A diet that's rich in fermented foods and also in fiber. Yes. Most people are not getting enough fiber, enough fermented foods. But it's also important to understand that the problem with some of these plant foods might actually have to do with a lack of diversity in the gut that doesn't allow us to break down those foods properly. Right. Because you look at the, if you look at the gut of our ancestral humans, and we can, we have a time capsule to that. When I was researching my book, The Gut Smart Protocol, and um, coming up with uh, just, just wanting to learn more about the gut and what I was going to teach people in my book, I went to Africa and I was able to stay with the Hadza, one of the last hunter gatherers on the planet. And the wow. really fascinating thing about them is that they've, they've looked at their gut microbiome and done um, stool analysis on them with uh, our DNA sequencing of the stool to look at what's, what's in their stool. And one thing they found is that their the makeup of their gut microbiome is very different from the makeup of the Western gut microbiome. It actually produces different types of postbiotic nutrients, which are important for their lifestyle. But the other thing is they have certain bacteria like Tryponema, which would be harmful to us, but for them living within the harmony of their ecosystem, it helps them break down plant cell walls like cellulose, and xylans, which are really difficult to digest. So I think a lot of, I think in part, yeah, we have to be careful with these anti-nutrients and we have to know how to prepare these foods. And I talk about that in my book, the best way to prepare beans, the, the best way to prepare foods that have these anti-nutrients like nuts, seeds. But the other thing that we have to look at is the other side of the equation is we can't just blame the anti-nutrients for the reason that we're not tolerating them, 
we've got to look at the gut and the gut microbiome because that's what's shifted along with the fact that we're, we're kind of losing our connection to our ancestral ways of preparing food. So we've got to kind of combine all those things, but realize that it might not be all about the plant paradox. It might be more about the lectin paradox that has to do with our gut. Right. Yeah. Thank you for explaining that. And amazing that you got to stay with, um, what was the tribe you stayed with again? They're the Hadza. So they're one of the few okay. hunter, hunter gatherer tribes. They're, they're located in, in Northern Tanzania and they live a very simple lifestyle, hunting and gathering, eating honey, tubers, um, wild animals that they hunt. But the, the, the reason that they're so fascinating is because they're they're not only a model for what the the gut of humans has been for most of our history, because um, we've been hunters and gatherers for ninety five percent of human evolution. Right. So it's Absolutely. only the last five percent of our evolution that we've domesticated animals. We started planting agriculture, you know, mass agriculture to feed people. Before that, we were hunter gatherers. But the, the other reason is that they have no diabetes, they have no heart disease, they have no cancer, they have no dementia. So they, they have no, no obesity. So they have no none of the diseases of modern humanity. So there's something to look at there and understand. They've also not been exposed to antibiotics by and far. Wow. And I think that speaks a lot to the ability of the gut as an internal regulating system to keep the body, the rest of the body healthy. Yeah, the gut is so important for everything. And like you said, it's a foundation for any chronic illness, being healthy, you gotta start at the gut and at least focus on it for a long time. Um, yeah, if so, you wanna heal your body, you have to heal your gut. And I think that's yeah. that's what's really coming into the consciousness now. And a lot of people have been dealing with chronic illness are suddenly looking at themselves and saying, wait a second, I never looked at my gut health. Is something going on with my gut? And is there something that I need to heal in my gut to feel better? Because they've just been kind of like coasting and they're doing okay, but they're just not getting past a certain plateau. And they realize, well, you're, you're not looking under your nose. You're not looking at your root system, which is the gut and the most important piece of the puzzle. Definitely. And best for last. So talk about your new book, your gut smart protocol. What is all that about? Put this here if you can pick it up. Yeah, Thanks. the gut smart protocol is my newest book. It is a 14 day personalized gut healing plan based on a quiz that I designed the gut smart quiz that will divide you into three categories, mild, moderate or severe and also give you a score. So you all not only know what category you're in, but you know what score you have from 25 to 450. And then you follow the program and it's a whole body mind program. So it's not just about diet, it's about mindset. It's using breath work and meditation to put the body in the best state to be able to absorb nutrients, but also to heal itself. And then once you finish the program after 14 days, you take the, the quiz again and track your progress and you might stack a couple of 14 day programs together. The cool thing is that we've got 65 really delicious recipes. I just had a book launch party on 
uh, Saturday, April 1st. And we tried some of the recipes. We cooked the recipes for the party and they are delicious. I had teamed up with a friend of mine who's a chef and clinical nutritionist in Australia who's written about five best-selling books on uh, the gut, uh, gut cookbooks. And so she created this international array of re recipes for this book that are amazing. So part of it is to, to really be able to heal the gut as a foundation, to understand why the gut is a foundation, to understand the connection between the gut and the brain and why that's such an important piece of the puzzle for healing the gut as the gateway to healing the entire body and mind. And, and then on top of that, to be able to see that healing the gut doesn't have to be boring. Eating healthy doesn't have to feel boring. That actually can be very colorful, very flavorful. And I help people personalize it and know what's right for them at what stage, depending on whether you test severe, moderate, or mild. Love it. I'll have to take the quiz and I'll let you know. I'm expecting to be on the lower end, but I guess we'll see. <laughs> um, so let us know how people can work with you. Are, are you currently taking patients? How can people reach out to you? Well, they can go to the website, gutsmartprotocol.com. And on that website, it's got a couple of things. It tells you about my book, but it also tells you how to connect with me on different social platforms. I'm mainly on Instagram. So in Instagram is my jam, as I like to say. And so I, I do a lot of my free content on Instagram. And people there can also fill out an application form if they want to work with me. I'm based in New York City. And usually I like to meet people in person, but then I do a lot of virtual care as well. And I have a very small concierge practice. I, I didn't want to, I've, I've already seen thousands of patients over the right. 20 plus years that I've been a doctor. So now I really want to help the one to the many. And the few that I work with are people really highly motivated to make the changes that are going to have a dramatic impact on their health. Love that. And then... What do you mean by concierge exactly? Explain that a little bit. It's one-on-one -on -one care and it's okay. directly with me. I don't take any insurance at this point. I used to. Okay. And for many years, I, I, I treated people with functional medicine use, under insurance. So I provided a lot of care to a lot of people who wouldn't have act, had access to it. Um, but now... I, I really just want to work with a few patients and that's why I kind of transformed my practice. And, and honestly, <clears throat> even if you can't see me as a patient, my brain is in here. I put my heart and soul into this book. Reading this book, like really carefully taking notes, following the advice in this book, it's like working directly with me if you can't see me for whatever reason, or you can't afford to see me. That's why I produce stuff like this, because I want to be able to help as many people as possible. Yeah. Get the information out as much as we can. I try to do the same thing as much free available resources for people, because we definitely need to hear more about the gut. Luckily we are, but we still have a long way to go. So, but thank you so much for being on Dr. Pedre. It was amazing information. Thank you. I'm so happy we finally made to made this happen. And it's been my pleasure. Oh, same here. Thank you so much. Take care.
Hey there. Thanks for listening. You can find me on Instagram at gutexpertriley, on Facebook at The Gut Pharmacist, same spelling as this podcast, on YouTube at The Gut Pharmacist, and my website is holisticriley.podia.com, where you can find information on working with me, my background, and more helpful information to feel empowered in your journey.